Welcome to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. My name is Jenna, and in this series, I'll be speaking to plastic surgery residents and giving you an inside look at what it's like to train at their institution. We'll discuss the logistics, the leadership, and the lifestyle of a plastics resident at their program. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Paige Goody, who's a third-year resident at Northwell Health in Queens, New York. Paige is originally from Grand Rapids, Michigan. She completed college at Grand Valley State University and medical school at Michigan State. Paige, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Jenna. So I'd love to start by hearing kind of a big picture overview about your program. So our program is located in New York. It is unique in the sense that I can't pinpoint exactly where it's located because we cover cover several hospitals. And that's actually in flux pretty constantly. It's a very fluid thing. And we're in Manhattan, Long Island, and pretty much most of the boroughs at this point, at some point in the six years. How many residents do you take per year? Also an interesting question. Traditionally, the program has taken two since the start. Two years ago, we took three. So right now our second year has three residents in it. And for this upcoming year, there's still levels of conversations that I don't understand with funding and salary lines and all of these things where there's discussions of three, at least residents. So hopefully this year, at least three new ones. We definitely have the volume for it. It's just levels of things that I don't understand as far as how to add residents to programs. Sure. Well, that's exciting. Can you give me the breakdown of how much plastics experience you get in the first three years? One of my favorite questions, because this program, at least that I can remember, is pretty plastic surgery heavy. So your intern year, you do six months of plastics and six months of general surgery. I know other programs that usually weigh a little bit more heavy towards general surgery your first three years, but we really make it a focus to do plastic surgery from the start and all throughout the residency. So your first year is the most general surgery you ever do, and that's only six months of the year. And you alternate months. So you do four months plastics, four months general surgery, back and forth, which I also found was a really great balance because you can do anything for four weeks. And so if it's not your favorite rotation, then you know in four weeks you're going back to like your people, your specialty, your home, and then you can kind of regroup, revamp. And if you're, as an intern... It's kind of a place to come back and then ask questions and then you can kind of go back into that general surgery world. And I found that balance to be great. And I thought from the beginning, that much plastic surgery was one, what I was looking for and the thing I was interested in, but really let me start to understand our specialty right from the start. And then how about in the second and third year? Second year, I believe I could look up the numbers. It's around the same. And then it's more, we have other things that are counted as general surgery that are They don't feel like really heavy general surgery. Like you have an anesthesia rotation, which was exceptional, not only interesting because you're still in the operating room and seeing other surgeries, but different kinds of hours. And we really try to work our schedules so we can put those months where they're not maybe as hour demanding around in service or around when you'd like to take step three or really around that time of the year, we're just like, holy cow, it's been six long months. It would be nice to have one rotation that's not as demanding. And then your second year, you do your ICU rotations. So I think it's around six months plastic, six months general surgery with a couple of the general surgery rotations that are a little bit nicer. And then third year, I'm done with general surgery. I have no general surgery left anymore. I did two months of ENT, which is considered general surgery, but we do so much head and neck reconstruction here that 
every case I was almost scrubbed with plastic surgery anyway. And now I'm completely done. So after second year, you're done with 24 hour call. You no longer do in-house hospital call, which is for me, very exciting. And third year, about halfway through, you're completely done with general surgery for the rest of residency. So is it about two months and like then like 10 months pretty much on plastics in your third year? Yeah, right around that. And then the thing is, we have so many rotations that you change where you're located for plastic surgery. So it's not like you're in one hospital for 10 months. Everyone kind of rotates on the first of the month, but sometimes you do two months in one place. So that's at least in your junior is about the longest you're anywhere. Can you go through some of those different sites and like which years you go to them? Yeah. So we have hospitals in Long Island and then in the city and the city, meaning the island of Manhattan. So in the city, we have Lenox Hill and Meath, which is Manhattan Ear, Eyes, Nose and Throat Hospital. And so those two hospitals are more senior years. So four, five and six, you start rotating out through there. And we also go to private offices in the city there. And there is a senior cosmetic clinic there. So that's kind of the more advanced, higher level things. And then more junior years, we focus on a lot of the reconstructive inpatient hospital setting out in Long Island. Uh, our two major hospitals are Long Island Jewish and North Shore Hospital, which now through the pandemic, if you watch any news briefing or the first vaccine was given right where you walk into residency every day. And so they're pretty big hospitals with a lot of high volume reconstruction and you spend first, second, and most of third year between those two hospitals. There are also private offices out there that we have the opportunity to work at and ambulatory centers as well. So your first three years, you're primarily there. And then some point in my third year, I'm going to go to Staten Island for one rotation. So I'll start my like commuting a little bit. And then Jacoby, which is a newer rotation that we've added to Northwell, and I'll be commuting there. And then fourth year, we start going into the city. At which sites would you say you get the most like pediatric experience? And then is there any that's more of like a VA or a county hospital like experience? Sure. So we don't have a VA just in our rotations. And Jacoby, that hospital that I mentioned that we just added, is really now fulfilling that county experience for us, which I haven't had the opportunity. I will very soon to go there. But from my seniors, I've really never seen them more excited about any rotation and maybe a little scared. There's like a new level of autonomy in these county hospitals that are not these high level, level one traumas where you have kind of people all over the place. You're on your own and doing stuff. And so that's really our new county experience. I'll say from just stuff I've heard and I've not had confirmed by my program director or such, but I know that they're discussing bringing a junior and a senior resident to that rotation because they're finding it so valuable, which I think would be a very fun experience, but I don't know the details of that. I would say that's most of our county experience. And then our children's experience, we primarily, I would say, just because I've only been in Long Island mostly, we do have a big, a large children's hospital associated with Long Island Jewish, which is Cohen's. And that's where some of our cranial facial attendings work. And so we do like vault reconstructions, cleft lip, cleft palate, all of that kind of stuff out there. And then our other cranial facial surgeons also do a lot of office procedures out there. So you'll see polydactyly and all the little stuff in the office. And then you'll see the larger reconstructions out at Cohen's. That said, we do have Dr. Thorne and Dr. Bradley and these other uh, also craniofacial surgeons that work in the city. And so some of the really major reconstructions or large ear reconstructions and stuff like that, we also do in the city. So you see it first through sixth year, which I think is good that it's not limited to one portion. So you don't forget it later. 
So you're really doing it all through, but I would say your first three years, you do see the higher volume just because we're attached to the children's hospital. Are there any fellows at any of the sites? We do have fellows and they are from, we call them the LIPS residents. I guess I don't know what the name of their fellowship is, but they're associated with Stony Brook, which is another now new plastic surgery residency. So it's interesting. They work with two integrated residencies as fellows and they rotate through, I believe just the Long Island Jewish and North Shore rotations out in Long Island. And so far in my first three years, I think it's a great addition. And I thought that even when I was rotating through other places, because you have a board certified general surgeon on your team. And so there's that level of comfort as a junior resident to have someone there that has your back with just the medicine things to make sure you're not missing something or to help explain. And they come with a lot of experience and they're really motivated to see plastic surgery because now they're trying to fit so much into a small time. And so we do have them. There's only one on a team at any given time and it's not an additive person. It just equals the number. So that means someone's out at Jacoby or something else. So it's not like there's too many people on a team. There's, I promise, never too many people on a team here. So it definitely doesn't detract. I think it only adds to our experience out here to have the fellows. So when you say fellows for them, those are plastic surgery fellows that previously finished general surgery. Yeah, I guess I think it's technically called the second residency or something, but they're doing the three-year independent post-general surgery rotation. It's actually exciting. One of our general surgery chiefs currently is now joining that one. So she's like coming back. There are several of our attendings that actually are attendings for both residencies as well, the Stony Brook and the Northwell residencies. And so those fellows work with both programs and we have attendings that work with both programs. And are there any like plastic surgery subspecialty fellows at any sites? In the city, they have a, I think they might have two microsurgery fellows and there are aesthetic fellows at Meath. Talking to my seniors, again, the volume here is just so incredible that I know I haven't heard anything about that ever being an issue of there not being enough, especially with microsurgery. We do so much and they don't come to the Long Island hospitals. So all of our reconstructive head and neck, deep breast reconstruction, lower limb reconstruction, all out there, there's no micro fellows. So you're doing micro as an intern. That's how much micro we have. And what's the research experience like? So we have so many staff on our faculty that come from amazing academic institutions and that really value research. It's a very surgical heavy residency. So that means it's a large responsibility of the resident to be self-motivated and prioritizing their time to find time for research. But Faculty are always willing to listen to project ideas, to help come up with them. The Feinstein Institute is a major research institute associated with Northwell where the general surgery residents do research. So there's always opportunity there to find people to develop projects and stuff like that. That said, we obviously don't have a dedicated research year, but the staff in the administration supports going to conferences, reimbursing all of those things. But they definitely... Uh, also get a little competitive with all like the symposiums and resident research competitions and all those things. So they definitely encourage it, but you have to find time to do both. You mentioned the attending support, but any support like statistics or IRB help or anything like that. And then also any support once something has been accepted to a conference. There's not a ton of extra support that I'm aware of. That said, I will fully acknowledge that I might not be the most research heavy resident. But I do know that other 
residents have, have reached out to people they know for statistics or even found like independent sourcing for statistics. There might be a way within Northwell to do that, but IRBs, I know I just do them myself, which has been a good learning process. And the IRB people, if you just email them nice and be like, hi, I don't know what I'm doing. They're pretty great with kind of walking you through it and kind of some of the verbiage that I didn't know and how to do when I started writing IRBs. Once things are submitted, I do know that once you start going to multiple conferences, there are some limitations with what you can be reimbursed for. I haven't heard any senior residents. I'm not to that level of submitting so many things that I'm concerned about that at this point. Our program director does make it a point that we don't just submit abstracts. So to submit to a conference or submit an abstract, you need to have a manuscript either written or pretty close to finish. So we can focus on providing real research and not just kind of throwing stuff up there and seeing where it lands and what we can do. So I think that also means our senior residents aren't applying to as they're not applying to 8 million different research things because they wait, they do it when they have stuff to present and they're always at the major meetings. You mentioned a little bit about call, but can you kind of talk about what call is like for you over the years? I think our call schedule is pretty awesome. So you start taking call halfway through intern year and obviously with someone on backup and when you feel comfortable, but that's because we have so many locations that the call pools per hospital are pretty small. And the other thing is when you're on off-service rotations like ENT, if you're not in the general surgery call pool, then you're still taking plastic surgery call when you're on those other services. That said, New York is a very unique place for plastic surgeons, and there are so many of us that there are a ton of private plastic surgeons that work at these hospitals that are not associated with the residency, which means for us, we avoid a lot of the emergency room plastic surgery consults. I don't go to the ED to sew lacerations or really any of the things you normally get called for. When I take call at North Shore Hospital, I'm on facial fracture call 24-7, so you go for traumas. And if one of your surgical patients comes back to the ED, but otherwise you kind of avoid the ED altogether, which I think translates to a much more reasonable call. So overnight you're not, there aren't little things that I think long-term might not be super educational and beneficial. At some point you can sew up a cut across someone's cheek, like just as well a second year as you can fifth year. So you can really focus your time on educational things. That said, there's always (laughs) horrific call nights. But we also do so many surgeries and so much reconstruction. Like we have multiple free flaps and things like that. So your overnight call can always be pretty crazy. But the not taking ED general surgery plastics consults, I think, changes the game quite a bit. And what is the mid-level support like at the different sites? I can only speak, obviously, my experience on Long Island, where we do not have mid-level providers for the teams. I do know that in the city, there is at least one PA that's a works with the residents and helps with inpatients there. That said, most of our physicians have a private PA. So there's intermittently, we kind of, you learn the flow, but with booking cases, surgical help, getting people to pack you, paperwork, all of that, we kind of are a team, but there isn't directly a PA associated with the resident teams inpatient. So we take calls overnight. We have the pager. We handle all of those things, but and you hold the pager during the day and do all that stuff. But the PAs are there when we don't have enough residents to cover cases or what have it. Are there opportunities for electives? At this time, I don't think that there is a dedicated rotation or time built into our residency for electives. 
That said, again, New York has such a breadth of plastic surgery and we work with so many surgeons that if you're interested or have a focus somewhere, you can definitely work rotations towards finding those experiences. And I do know that even I think residents that are here right now still have used vacation times or times they've gone to conferences and added on little little bits of times to visit other places or visit other surgeons. And our administration has been, they're always so supportive that I think if someone had a true interest in like a very specific thing that they could find time to make stuff work, but we don't have a dedicated elective. And are there any opportunities for international trips? Yes. I'm assuming that'll happen again post-COVID. This year, everything was canceled. So several of our physicians do international trips. I know Dr. Moon goes to Ecuador consistently and some of the other attendings go to different places. I think Ecuador might be the only one that's consistent year to year. And then every once in a while, they go to other places. We also, I think, have had talks of going with our ENT surgeons that we're very close with with head and neck reconstruction because we kind of view them as our attendings as well. So there's always opportunity and a lot of the residents have gone in the past. We also, I think it was my intern year, put through some of the paperwork so that some of those can be counted as cases. So if you're going to go down and do a bunch of clefts, that we got the accreditation through ACG me to count those cases when they're with our attending. So I haven't had the opportunity to go. I hope to, but that definitely is something that's happens usually more. It's in my experience has been more of a senior level rotation. Can you tell me about the cosmetic experience and kind of how it's brought in over the years? Intern year, I would say is probably obviously when you see the least because you're in the hospital all the time. And that said, at indication and at conferences and at journal club and all of that, you're seeing the seniors bringing their cosmetic cases from the city and presenting them. And so it's always part of the discussion, but I don't think you actually see as much of it. Some of our attendings do do cosmetic facelifts and all of those things in our ambulatory center and inpatients. I did my first facelift in turn year. So you'll see some, but it's definitely our senior years where that focus switches a lot. Second and third years, you start going to private offices. Even in Long Island, you're working with Surgeons doing only cosmetics in the office. So, I mean, this week I went to an office and did a breast reduction and an abdominoplasty and an upper and lower bluff, just like on a Tuesday. And then as you move into the city, if that's your interest, I think in the city, if you really are leaning one way or the other, you can kind of find the cases you want to scrub. But you can work with Dr. Aston, Dr. Baker, all of the people that we read about in books and do cases with them at these hospitals and then rotate through a lot of the private offices as well, which I think is a very unique and personally was a big draw to this program. And then you also have the senior cosmetic clinic, so you can book all the way through that. And then there's also injectables and all those things we do throughout to build up our cosmetic skills. And we also even do cosmetic bioskills labs. So we've had attendings come in and talk about facelifts and then go through some of the dissections on cadavers and things like that as well. It's pretty consistent, but hands-on, I would say it increases as you go. And the amount is definitely more in the city than it necessarily is out in Long Island. When do you start booking cases for the resident cosmetic clinic? We have clinic all the time. So as a junior, you can do, if someone came in and wanted like a breast reduction, you can do those types of things that are covered by insurance. So you could do that as an intern. Strictly cosmetics is just when you're in the city. So I would, I think that's just five and six where you have the strictly cosmetic clinics, but you book clinic cases from intern year on, which is fun. I assume that's kind of like once you, like you're not doing a whole breast reduction by yourself as an intern. 
No. So the goal there would be, and that would be very intimidating. The goal always is for clinic cases to be teaching cases. So as it is safe, it would hopefully always like my first clinic case, I think was a like nipple areola recon and my chief took me through it. So the attending hangs out, talks about markings, lets me do the markings. And I actually had talked to my chief about the case prior, like what my plan was, what, how I was going to do the markings next day, go with him. I do the markings, attending watches. He walks me through it. We each do our side. So that's the goal, obviously, when it's safe per level. But if it's your clinic case, they definitely do try as long as it's safe and you're prepared to do the most. But we have seniors that book clinic deeps and then a deep is your case. And as long as everything's safe, like a senior can walk you through raising the flaps and you each get to do your half of a deep. And is there experience with gender affirmation surgery? There absolutely is. So it's actually something that we are now starting to get more experience with in our clinic because it happens to be a population that sometimes doesn't have insurance. So then they can come through our reconstructive clinic out in Long Island and we do a lot of top surgery through there. And Dr. Whitehead is a gender affirmation surgeon. I scrubbed my first vaginoplasty as an intern. So they're working on that here. Dr. Bradley, Dr. Bastidas, Dr. Whitehead all do different forms of gender affirmation surgery. There's a lot of facial feminization surgery as well with our cranial facial surgeons, both in Long Island and in the city. And then top and bottom surgery out here in Long Island. And are there any other fun perks about your program? I think a huge perk of this program is definitely New York because that in itself, just the weird opportunities you just get because you're in the city. So even some of the conferences we just get invited to for free as residents because we're in the city and they can do things like that. I will say, and it's, I think, an important question to ask when you are looking at programs, like you do buy your own loops and pay for your boards. So that we, I think, are compensated in different ways of just the people that we bring in for visiting lecture series and our, we do have a bioskills cadaver lab, but my intern year, I met Rod Rourke and... Dr. Nelligan and these people that like Dr. Gottlieb in Chicago, like you just never thought you would meet and having such amazing faculty be friends with those people and be in contact with them. You get to meet them and learn from them. And you're the chief, you pick them up from the airport. And so you go to dinner with them. And so I think that for me was the kind of, I'm the girl from the Midwest and this starstruck, holy cow, I get to learn from these surgeons for me is the like biggest kind of perk of this and being here. And then of course, like, One time I got discount Broadway tickets on a Thursday night and saw a Broadway show. So those things are also, for me, very, very cool. And what area of plastic surgery would you say residents come out with the strongest experience in? I would say probably like reconstructive surgery and micro and breast. We do so much of that. We always talk about like, behind closed doors. Like, do we really even need a fellowship in micro? Like we do so much of it. It's, we see it every day. There are deeps everywhere, every week, all the time. So I think that a lot of surgeons that graduate and do that feel very, very confident. And I think if you want to focus that there's a lot of opportunity to do a lot of cosmetics here, it's nice because everyone that is in New York likes to stay in New York. So several of the graduates are current faculty members. You get to work with them and then see them become attendings and work through them as junior attendings and it's very cool to see that they graduate as competent surgeons and are successful. And then they're there to ask questions. It's like, Hey, how did you do this? Or what did you feel about this? And it seems like everyone that's graduated feels pretty good and is doing pretty cool things. So getting to work with them now is also very fun. And how would you improve your program? 
I would say it's pretty well known. We even talk about it in our interviews is that hand is probably one of the places that we're weakest in this program. That said, we've now started to make changes in the sense that we have Jacoby. So as juniors, I think we still, because we don't take that ED call and our surgeons here don't focus a ton on hand, you don't see a lot of it. You do an ortho rotation that is hand specific, which is very cool. We have hand conference monthly, which is a good educational experience, which the ortho hand attendings also attend. And then every once in a while, there's, there's always hand stuff. Um, but it's kind of not until you get to Jacoby that you start doing a lot of hands. So I definitely think that's a weakness. This year, actually, our first fifth year is applying to a hand fellowship. So that's changing, and we have other people interested in hand. So currently, I think that's our weakest point and what I would work on. But I think that our faculty has taken it seriously that we feel like we lack that and have worked on finding ways to mix it in. Now to transition, I'd love to hear more about your program leadership. So Northwell is an interesting system. And so lots of people are chiefs of lots of things because there's so many hospitals. So I could talk about some of like the major players. Does that work? Like the big guys? Okay. So people senior within the administration, Dr. Kasabian obviously is our program director. And not only that, but he started the residency. So he's a huge part of this. He holds a large title within Northwell. It's either chief of plastic surgery or something of the such. Because we have so many hospitals, there are other people within the leadership that are like chiefs of individual hospitals. That said, Dr. Bradley is a really big part of the residency. He, coming from UCLA and these great programs, focuses a ton on education, is really big with resident involvement in that sense in attending conferences, and is definitely the first one to always want to hang out too, which is really fun. And he does a lot of the really cool big cases. So he's a person that we like to work with a lot. And he also brings in a lot of the cool lecturers. So he's very, very involved in the residency program. And as a co-program director, it's very dear to him. And it's very obvious, which we definitely benefit from. And then in the city, I know some of the other, like Dr. Thorne and some of the other attendings out there take a leadership role within those hospitals. And I don't know them as well yet. You meet them for different events and through interviews and stuff like that. But out here, Dr. Bradley and Dr. Kasabian definitely are high within Northwell, but really the people who are at the forefront of the residency program. And can you tell me about a time that you were another resident brought up an issue to the program leadership and how they responded? Just for me personally, like I'm lucky that I can say that I haven't had to go to my administration for a ton of things, which I guess I think is a blessing. And then I just know that if there ever are concerns, so the one time I had that I probably talked to the administration the most ever was around when we were getting redeployed for COVID. And so it just was one of those times where no one knew what was happening or what it was going to look like when you were there. And I was a second year with no ICU experience and obviously scared. And so they definitely were great with communication, very transparent. And it was very clear that Dr. Kasabian, Roselle, our program coordinator, and these people, while they want you to be really good residents, they will protect you and make sure that you are only put in the situations that are appropriate and they want to keep you safe. And while we all have to participate because this is all of our responsibilities as physicians, it was really good to see. I felt like they were definitely in my corner. And while we all went in and did our jobs and took all those shifts, that was the time where if I had any concerns or I was worried about what I missed in residency because I was doing COVID units and missing other rotations. All of those things were readily addressed and I felt very supported within our administration. So for me personally, that was probably one of the biggest times where I had to interact with them the most. 
what kind of a role do residents play in department decision making? So with choosing new residents or involvement with new faculty hires? So we definitely all get some information on our applicants. And I know that the seniors, I think the fives and sixes, I know that they get the full application because they actually do some of the interviews. The juniors, or I guess up to fours, fives, we usually just hang out with you guys when talk like during food and all of that. So we, and probably rightfully so, don't need all of the information. We just like kind of know where you're from and see your face so we know your names. And I know that the seniors sit in on those conversations with the attendings directly after to talk about ranking and all of that. So I've always heard that they take their opinions seriously. They definitely always ask us for feedback on rotating students because we've had up to like 20 rotators. So that we take that super seriously. And as far as higher level stuff goes, I'm not sure how involved we are. I know with rearranging how like block scheduling works or working in these new hospitals that they've talked to seniors in the sense of like, do you think this campus could do it this way? And I don't know if that's like sit down meetings more than just... I popped into our program coordinator's office the other day and we were talking about virtual interviews and she's like, Hey, what do you think about this? Do you think this would work? And we just sat down and talked about it for 30 minutes. So they definitely like our feedback, but it's not always in like a really formal setting. And now can you talk a bit more about the relationships among the residents? Sure. That was really important to me when I was evaluating residencies, because when you start interviewing, you think one thing. And then by the end of interviewing, at least when you're physically and financially drained, you kind of realize that you've asked all the questions and now this, what do I really care about? And so for me, it was about that because this is the time that I'm becoming an adult. And so I really thought about it. Who do I want to be surrounded with, but also in the place that I can become a really great surgeon. So meeting everyone here, I remember calling my boyfriend and saying, wow, this interview felt good. I liked everybody. I remember when one of the chiefs walked in, she ran over and hugged the other chief because they were at different campuses and hadn't seen each other in a while. And people were showing pictures of babies. And I was, that felt very family-like and fun for me. And I was like, well, if I'm going to move across the country, these are my new friends. Like these are my new people. I really want that to be an important part of it. So while for every other reason, I probably still would have ranked this program number one, the fact that everyone was so friendly was a, it made me feel so good about that decision. And since coming here, it holds true completely. My boyfriend flew here to look for apartments and residents here met up with him before I even started residency and like took him out for drinks and met his mom and hung out. And I would say my co-resident is one of my best friends. We're ridiculous. On Christmas, I had two of the residents her and one of our fifth years who we all don't have family and can't travel for COVID. They came over for Christmas and within COVID, one of our chiefs was having a baby. So we made sure that he could stay safe and be there for the birth. And it's just never been a problem. Another one broke an arm this year. And so there's call ships you got to pick up and backup you got to do. And it's just, everyone gets it done. And then when we go out to relax, you work hard and you play hard. And that's really fun too. And what would you say are some of the qualities of a resident who would fit well in your program? It's busy. So definitely wanted an operative heavy program would be, this would be the program for you. There's lots of fun personalities. I would say it's a pretty upbeat, pretty energetic program. There's a lot of moving around, even within the hospitals. You do need to have a car. If I haven't said that at any point, you definitely have to have a mode of transportation because even in one day, you might go back and forth between hospitals to help cover cases. It's New York. It's fast paced. It's busy. There's a lot of big personalities in every sense of the word. So there's just, you'll see everything. So you have to be ready for that. 
So now I'd like to hear more about the logistics of how residents live. So do most own or rent? Rent. It's New York. I think one of our fifth years who's married with children and a wife, I think that they have a house that they own. And where in the city do people choose to live? Great question. We talked about this in the interview and even put up a map coming from the Midwest. I didn't understand how New York worked at all. And you can find us everywhere. So I'm in Brooklyn right now. And I started in Long Island City when I first moved here. Astoria is pretty popular within the residents. That's because it's pretty centralized. You're still on the edge of Long Island. So you can drive out to the hospitals out east, but then you're pretty close to the city to get into Lenox and Meath. Also for me personally, I have a significant other that we couldn't have two cars and works in the city. So it didn't really make sense for us to live super far east when we kind of live in the middle. And I find that to be the case with a lot of the residents with significant others is that for jobs, it also is a pretty centralized location to be kind of on the west side of Long Island. But definitely for the amount of call you take and financially and stuff, going further east, there are tons of really good options that are kind of a little bit further. And then that might be closer to Jacoby. And then there is also resident housing out at Long Island, Jewish and North Shore. That's incredibly affordable and awesome when you take calls. So you're eliminating that 30 minute drive each way that I have to go see something silly and like just fix the dressing. So that's really nice. And so junior year, some people have done that. And I think if that's an option, that's a really cool option. And then on the flip side, if I'm here today and I decide I want to go grab food, I can go to the city and that's a super quick trip too. So you really can live anywhere. And oh, we also have resident housing in Manhattan. I don't think currently there's no one living in Manhattan, but uh, chiefs and other people in the past have. And people with significant others that worked in the city have also lived in the island of Manhattan. But currently, I don't think anyone's, no one's living there. And what's the breakdown of residents being single, married kids? One of our chiefs just had a baby. Well, he's like nine months or something now. So one chief has a baby and he's married to another physician. His co-chief has a girlfriend. Our fifth years, one of them is married with children. And then the other one is single. Fourth years are both married. Third years, we both have boyfriends. And then interns, one single, and the boys are all trying to hook him up. And then our girl has a boyfriend. So lots of us have significant others. That said, it's a blast. And when we meet up, significant others always come, which I think is really good support for people like Maya. So who, especially for the people that aren't medical, significant others. And they're always invited to everything and they always come along. And I'm pretty sure my program coordinator loves my boyfriend more than she likes me, but it's great. So you've touched on a couple things and, you know, the perk of being in the city. So just if you want to reiterate, what do you love about being in New York? Food, food. Uh, it was really early that my boyfriend and I said it was like, if we ever leave New York, without a doubt, it's going to be the thing that we miss most. And for us, we made the decision that instead of doing anniversary gifts, we decided to go to dinners that we can't afford. And that would be our experience together. And so we've made it a point to try really cool restaurants that we've only seen on TV or things we really want to try, which for me has been super fun. Coming from the Midwest, seeing things like Broadway shows just wasn't as accessible for me. And so this has been an incredible experience for me to go to places that I just wouldn't have had the opportunity. Coming here from my interview was the first time I had been to New York. So I love that. And then I also love that when people come to visit, there's always so much fun stuff to do that you're never like hanging around the house or and that there's time and place for all that. That's mostly when I like to go home and I like to hang out and do stuff. But when people come here, it's so much fun to like bring them out and go to cool places. And the longer you live here, the more you can find ways to do that without spending a ton of money. 
It's just, there's always something. I live on the edge of a park in Brooklyn and like every Sunday night there's live music and you look down there like at any given time, there's like something kind of crazy going on and it's so much fun. So you get why people come here and then never leave. Uh, So that's pretty much everything I wanted to talk about. Any final thoughts either on your program specifically or on the overall process of choosing a residency program? I think, like I mentioned earlier, residency is absolutely about becoming a great surgeon. And I took that very seriously that I want to become the best I can for my future patients. But it's so much more than that. And you need to evaluate like where you are and where you're going to be happy because we have so little downtime. You have to be happy and really fulfilled in that downtime. So don't only focus on the biggest names and the prestige part of it. I think that you really got to find a place you're going to be happy with the people you're working with. And then for our program specifically... I feel so blessed to have found it and it feels like such a hidden gem. And I don't even think I understood most of the perks about coming to this program before I came, but just the breadth, I think with plastic surgery, every single case, even if it's a skin graft, it's not the same. It's not like doing a thyroid where it's this step, this step, this step, this step done. And so watching so many surgeons trained so many different places from so many backgrounds, general surgery, non-general surgery, ENT, fix the same problem. They all fix it in different ways. And now I have all of that in my repertoire. If you wanted to do gender information, you're going to see multiple surgeons do facial feminization, not just one. Breast reconstruction, they quoted to me when I interviewed here that we work with up to 200 different surgeons. And so you're going to see it all. And I think that that's for me was the most exciting thing where I can take that and go anywhere and hopefully will have seen or at least learned the thought process to fix almost any problem. And how can interested students find out more about your program? So we have a website and there's an informational video on there. We actually just reshot part of it recently to kind of bring in some of the newer residents and transition out people that have graduated. So there's that, which covers a lot of like kind of the general questions, like where you rotate, who's there and what you see. And then we have an Instagram and all of that, but everyone's really open to questions. The website, the video, and then I think on there, there's anywhere you can talk to us. Everyone's open. Rosella, program coordinator, is also a good person for just normal questions. And then she's also really good about if someone's asking about, like, how do you have kids in residency or whatever, she'll direct them to the right resident to kind of get a good answer from them just because she knows us all so well. I think that's it. So thank you so much for speaking with me today, Paige. Yeah, of course. That was really fun. This is a very cool thing you're doing. And we are all very lucky to have someone that's willing to put in the time and effort to make this happen for other people. It's kind of like when you find those awesome study guides and you're like, yes, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing to our show via your favorite podcast service and following us on Instagram and Twitter. For more podcast episodes and residency information, check out our website, doctority.co. That's drity.co. We love feedback from listeners, so please contact us through the website or through social media with your questions or suggestions. See you next time.